Hello, and welcome to Dig It. I'm Peter Brown, and hosting the show with me today is Chris Day. Hi, Chris. Hi, Peter. So today we're talking about bedding plants and um, what a massive sector bedding is for the garden centre trade, isn't it? It's so important, isn't it? And how many of us already have, have been tempted at the garden centre to put a few extra uh, packs or pots into our uh, our baskets? And yeah, and it's just the range, isn't it? It certainly is. I mean, uh, just thinking sort of if you were at the turn of the century, the bedding selection would be... So marigolds, allison, lobelia, salvias, mm-hmm. but now it's oh, changed it's, a little bit, hasn't it, it, Chris? Yeah, and if you think about those plants, I mean, I, I think about them quite affectionately, actually. You know, the red, white and blue you would create on those those uh, sort of bedding plant schemes of uh, when I was around in the night, when I was very young, I still remember those in the, uh, the 1970s. Um, but yes, they've moved on, and of course now the range of hardy bedding plants as well as tender bedding plants as obviously all sort of mingled into each other um, yeah. i mean you think about your um, your center plants you might put into your pots you know they might be hardy uh, fuchsias or they might be fuchsias on a stem you know standards which are, of course are and it has to be classed as a, as a tender plant and then uh, you might put your cannas in there or your banana plants so yeah, yeah. big big plants yeah, because um, with this very late season that we've got this year, obviously bulbs are now over and they've had their six weeks since flowering, so we can start thinking about digging them up. And obviously a lot of people replant where they used to have their bulbs with nice bedding plants, don't they? They do indeed. And traditionally, of course, yeah, your tulips, because of the cold spring, though, the tulips have carried on flowering so much longer, just like the, the daffodils were in uh, back in, in May. So I think we're, we're really lucky that at that sort of stage you need to start thinking about clearing your, your bulbs, whether you move them and save them or you just treat them as a, as a crop and take them out and obviously uh, uh, plant them elsewhere. Um, tulips particularly these days are quite inexpensive, so people tend to, to do that. Um, but yeah, prepare your soil, get everything ready, obviously give it a little bit of bone meal or a bit of blood, blood fish and bone to get the, the soil activated, especially okay. long-term wise. Yeah, so presumably, as always, you know, put some compost in there from your mm. compost heap and, like you say, sort of some fertiliser to help things. Because bedding plants being a flowering plant, I'm guessing they're going to take masses of energy to yeah. keep them flowering throughout the year so, or throughout the summer. Indeed. But, yeah, talking about throughout the year, they really are mm. sort of uh, all year round now, aren't they? And, That's right. Um, obviously, the varieties that we've got of changed so much mm. i mean you're talking about sort of dracaenas and um fuchsias as sort of central plants for your you know, bedding yeah. displays and personally uh, i mean things like I, i've seen people using um what i would class as um almost like house plants things mm. like gazinias and osteospernums yeah are now sort of standard bedding plants right. aren't they and they are and, and, and so you know and long may it continue and i think as, as Stuart uh, sort of suggests when we're chatting to him that that market is changing isn't it yeah because obviously the world is some people say is getting a smaller place and how the fact that the likes of the osteospernum i mean that comes from south africa yeah. is it Chris? that's it that's it yeah and, and it's a divided plant though peter i mean some it? people love it um, I'm in that camp. Yeah, is it a bit of a marmite plant then, Chris? I seem to think so. Yeah, certainly by some of the reactions we get with the customers, whether it's the colour, some of the colourways. Yeah. Um, but I think some of the the pinks and the purples, and uh, I think some bronze ones look really quite. Dare I say artificial? Beautiful. I yeah. love the sort of uh, the shape of the petals and mm. the little almost like a teardrop on yeah. the end of it, isn't it? I, I but it's them. it's interesting. Um, I think that plant when it first came out, a little bit like your your, your gazanias, used yep. to keep their flowers closed or they weren't very they were quite uh, weather responsive. So yes, they so, are. They're a bit like the sunflower that obviously tracks the sun. The indeed. gazinias don't open and they shut at night, don't yeah, they? But with a, I think I think it was daybreak. I think that was one of the the varieties where the bull colgrave brought that out. But one of the breeds brought out, which suddenly meant the the flowers stayed open for a longer period of time and they weren't as reactive to uh, to sunshine and warmth. So that's good. That's good news. I hadn't thought of that for a while, Chris. That's yeah. a, good, a very good point. So with the weather warming up now, Chris, I mean, May was just so cold, wasn't it? And I'm um, just thinking back to mm. 2020 when um, we had 266 hours of sunshine and I think there was Incredible. 18 days where it got to a 21 degrees, which I mean, it was just lovely, wasn't it? It Whereas was fantastic, yeah. Th- this year it's just been so cold and wet and windy, almost more like 
April weather, <laughs> dare I say. Um, it, it sort of held everything back, hasn't it? Yeah, with, with, with the rain to match, of course, and high rainfall, which has, of course, had a bit of an impact too. Um, but also, I suppose, you know, I'm certainly my, my bedding plants this year have been really slow off the mark. And uh, hopefully the bit of sunshine now, which we're obviously expecting through this month, will bring them on nicely. Uh, yeah, because um, the other thing, I mean, the horrific memories of last year's oh um, sort of lockdown and... Mm. I don't, my birthday's twenty third, twenty third of March, and um, I can remember the sort of <laughs> pains of April, thinking, oh, "Are we going to be able to open again?" We've got mm. thousands of bedding plants mm-hmm. sat in the tunnel, and um, yep. by this time of year, I mean they were all just going on the compost heap. It was such yep. a it was, Massive waste, wasn't it? It was. I, I just see those pictures. I think it was on both the BBC and ITV news of these big, uh, big piles of of spent plants being, you know, thrown away well, from all these millions pieces, and yeah. millions two, of pounds. Yeah, two hundred million, they reckon, was lost wow. over that period of time. And I know a lot of nurseries uh, gave gave plants out. Obviously, within within the COVID restrictions we had to yep. nursing homes and such like to, to get rid of them. But you do feel the pain for growers last last year, and uh, I think they've had a really tough time. Now, they're obviously bouncing back this year. However, good old weather throws a spanner in the works for for us retailers, so it does it doesn't help sometimes. Because I think that's something that some people don't realise is the fact that obviously to get the bedding plants to the garden mm. centres, it takes several weeks to months mm. to grow the plants in the, in, in the, in the first place. Mm. So you, know, you cut the supply off, mm. and obviously all the growers gave up growing everything and yeah. you know, so when we were able to open again the supplies just weren't there yeah, were yeah. they because obviously the government didn't give us enough notice mm. to get the seeds in the soil and start yeah. growing things again and yeah. it, it caused chaos last year didn't it it did and if probably people don't realize that crops are effectively programmed so a nursery will know that he's got maybe four or five crops to go through their glass houses their polytunnels and then of course that sort of hits the uh, the the whole uh, process so yeah it really does cause a few few issues down the supply chain so yes when we did reopen uh, on the what, 15th 16th of may yes it was uh, it was difficult, but you know, yes, again, the you know the resolute growers did come to the, their uh, their aid, and they did get some crops into us, and it just meant the whole of last year, certainly in the the, the spring uh, from from the spring onwards, was all a little bit uh, bit different, shall we say? Yeah, well, uh, thankfully we're starting to get back to normal again Indeed. now, and um, <laughs> certainly the bedding plants look lovely at the moment in the tunnel, don't they? They look fantastic, yes, and one particular one which caught my eye. And it's just so good to see is one of the uh, one of the busy lizzies, one of the big, big flowered and big leaf busy lizzie called the news new Guinea hybrid. Oh, right. OK. That's a, and what colours is that coming in? Lots of colours. Yeah. I mean, red, uh, obviously orange and sort of white and every sort of shade in between. And the new guineas, uh, again, we were talking about how plants have sort of changed over the years. They were originally sold as a house plant. So you yeah, buy, yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, because mm-hmm. when I was at college, we used to, well, uh, learn how to keep them. And then mm-hmm. I learned how to give them botrytis, I think. <laughs> <laughs> or, or powder. Powdery mildew. Powdery mildew. Over watering, as um, yeah. seems to be a common trait with uh, yeah. uh, people learning gardening. And if you've, if you've got a busy Lizzie, patian on your windowsill, and you wonder why they drip moisture from the ends of the leaves they're basically perspiring so yes if you wa- really? over water a busy lizzie it's wet it sweats. it tells wow. you fantastic um, and that's that those droplets contain a lot of sugar and i remember years ago them causing actually problems on people's best bit of mahogany so uh, a little tip if you're going to grow your busy lizzies indoors make sure you have a nice wide tray just to catch those potential sugary watery deposits <laughs> interesting how fascinating as we've been chatting bedding, it's only right that we should talk to a, a real uh, industry expert. We'd like to welcome today Stuart, Marketing Manager at Bolk Holgrave, and uh, we're delighted that he could join us on Digit. How do we find you today, Stuart? Absolutely wonderful, thank you, despite the rain. Yes, we're having a bit of a, a, bit of a downpour through this part of uh, sort of late May, and uh, yes, the weather could be a lot better. And of course, we're right amidst the, the bedding plant season now, and uh, it's obviously sort of the garden centre at the moment where we're, we're chock a block with bedding. So perhaps, Stuart, you could probably explain a little bit about your role at Old Colgrave, because obviously we probably need to set the scene a little bit with our uh, with our listener. Well, certainly, um, Old Colgrave are wholesale suppliers of plug seeds, little uh, liner plants and bare roots of annuals, perennials, vegetables uh, to the professional horticultural industry. 
and it is to the professional industry rather than to the to the public. Um, now, my my job, uh, I've been I've been here thirty four years, believe it or not. Oh wow, Chris. Um, so I started, um, you know, working in the greenhouses and worked my way you know, through the business. To my very much my background is as a grower, um, and I've I've got involved in all sorts of things throughout the business. But primarily, my job is marketing, promoting. Uh, communicating uh, regarding the the plants, trying to share um, and help our customers understand our product. Yeah, and as I say, Stuart, that's where we tend to meet you when you have your your open days for for the for the gardening trade, uh, which is great because you yes. you do get a little bit of a glimpse of what the future um, new new plants are going to be, which is always exciting. I always find I'm a bit of a kid in the the proverbial sweet shop when I when I come along. Um, but perhaps yeah. you can take us back a little bit because obviously we're all familiar with bedding plants, but sort of the history of bedding does go back a little while, doesn't it? Yeah, I guess it it dates back to kind of seventeenth century. It was it was very much um, used more in the large estates in the gardens, um, primarily as you see, you see a lot of carpet bedding, uh, and carpet bedding is a, a style of bedding that's kind of very much on the on the on the ground that could be seen from a but it with effect from from the from the houses and it's often kind of a geometric kind of design um you know, tapestry you know, and, and i guess the name carpet effect became uh synonymous with it because it looked like a a, a carpet so it's kind of it, it dates back quite quite a number of years obviously it's changed over that time of course yeah. and I, I, mean, I think of sort of carpet bedding you know the, the wonderful display outside Buckingham Palace every summer those amazing it's usually sort of red pelagoniums geraniums isn't it sort of bedded out formally I mean that's probably a really good example of it I suppose it's it's sort of sort of slightly disappearing these days with uh, local parks authorities probably cutting budgets and uh, and the other sort of restraints financially in the uh, the local authorities but has that affected your um, sort of take on on that type of plant because obviously you're producing lots of plants to sit in that category. Well, yes, we yeah we we supply to the local authorities, parks departments. They're really important customers to us, and they're on enormous you know budget restraints these days. Um, they have to be very careful about what they use because they want they want to have plants that perform. They and and last you know they're, they're mm. under quite challenging conditions that they'll 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 survive um and and give a fantastic show throughout the year so they're they're always looking for um plants that that give them good value for money uh, you know products like the tuberous begonias are always uh you know a, a, a very popular product in the, the parks displays and going back to the yeah, the red geraniums, of course, outside Buckingham Palace, the colour of those has to precisely match the tunics of the Queen's Guard. Right. So that that's kind of why you know that colour is so important. Okay, that's that's fascinating. Um, yeah, so we'll be tired if a, a stray little uh, seedling gets in there and uh, spoils the show, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Off off with its head, perhaps. Literally <laughs> speaking. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, I mean, sort of. Royal, I mean, the royal parks are obviously one of the one of the main uses. But I tend to see a lot of um, sort of carpet bedding in a lot of the the national trust properties these days. Um, I mean, we've got yep. Wadston Manor just down the road from from the garden centre here, yeah. and uh, they use an awful lot in their uh, their, their displays. Quite uh, quite spectacularly. Is there, is there any sort of themes you've found over the last few years which have have sort of uh, become more and more uh, used in, in greater numbers, or is it sort of a, is it sort of a mixture of of uh, so traditional and maybe a few introductions, new introductions? Well, we're seeing lots of new varieties every year, of course, Chris. Uh, you know, the, breed, the breeders are spoiling us with <laughs> new products. And right. I guess, you know, if you're thinking about trends and fashion with, with plants, it mixtures, of course, in, in the UK are always the most popular combinations. Mm. Um, I, 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 Think that, that you know, you'd see that um, you know in the garden in the garden centre mi- mixture is always popular, but what we what we are seeing is um, more kind of colour theming where where colour combinations are put put together in two or three colour colour sets, mm-hmm. um, you know, harmonising or complementary colours, you know, using colours close on the colour wheel or opposite. So you might have yellow and red, but then you might have 
purple and blue. And I think I think we're you, we're seeing that happening um, just generally mm. out out in gardens in the garden garden centres. I, I, I guess if you know a great tip, you know, for any, anybody you know wanting to kind of colour scene in their garden, if you look at the, what the paint companies do with. They have these little booklets and they show a room with two or three colour combinations. And mm. that's really effective. It does work exceptionally well. We're trying to encourage the industry to look and colour theme. And that's kind of, that. those are the trends really, is, is people use colour that best suits their garden. And, it, and, and it's, everything goes. That's the beauty of plants, everything can go. Yeah, I do remember, Stuart, years ago, probably in the 1980s, when sort of colour theming was sort of first muted and, and growers were definitely going over to, to single colours. That I think the, I think it was the HTA or maybe the garden centre trade, I don't know, uh, industry started to promote uh, a particular colour. I think the first one was Think Pink, which got everybody... Uh, well, if you, yeah. if, you like, if you like pink, it was fine. If you didn't, then it was a definitely mar- <laughs> Marmite situation. But I think that was the first thing I remember in the gardening trade going back, you know, 30 years that sort of started. And that was perhaps the catalyst for uh, getting us to be more involved with, with colour. But you're quite right. I mean, the use of swatches now when you're choosing your colour paints and your, your indoor decor, I suppose it's just a matter of taking that outside into your, your outdoor sort of garden room, isn't it? It is. The garden room is, is just an extension of the, of the house. And, you know, we can bring the colours from the, you know, from the living room out onto the patio, yeah, and, and almost create this seamless colour colour transition, yeah. Um, yeah, from from the house into the garden. Yeah, I think I think that's got quite exciting that people have got that opportunity, and especially with now the the good range of you know coloured plastic pots and the the wide range of uh, decorative glaze pots that makes it even easier to achieve that that effect. Um, Stuart, I was going to mention, you know, we, we obviously look at bedding plants as single sort of varieties but of course we've had one or two really good success stories over the years and uh, I think uh, we, we think we might be nice to just to chat about the the good old humble busy Lizzie because that's seen some changes hasn't oh, yeah. it? Yes the, the the busy Lizzie we had quite a, a challenge um, quite a number of years ago um, the busy Lizzie as most people um, would probably be familiar with is you know the Empathian um, that could be planted and used almost anywhere in the garden. Um, it was it was our all-time favourite bedding plant. And then back in 2003, and then uh, and then about 2007 and 8, and then finally in 2011, we had this disease outbreak, which decimated the um, the, the plants in gardens and through the nurseries, which meant that um, it was very hard soon after that to actually find a busy lizzie in the garden centre i remember that well it was quite 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 a drastic you know shake up wasn't it because our you know when our shopping list busy lizzies were always on the the top probably three or four especially for for use in hanging baskets as well as for uh, for for beds yep so 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 i would say what what happened next what was the the next sort of change then well the the exciting exciting thing it's taken quite a number of years it took several years to breed a, a variety that's resistant to this this disease which is okay. called impatiens downy mildew um, quite often the the mildew people don't notice it on their plants until it's much too late um, the the mildew actually appears on the underside of the leaf and it's a, um, a purplish whitish hue it's all powdery okay. and um, the, the leaf on the upper surface doesn't really show that initially, but the spores are underneath the leaf and they're spreading. So we get some damp weather, warm, damp weather, and it goes cold. The, the spores spread. And it's not till uh, the, the disease is really quite prevalent in, in the plants, it starts to show through and the leaves start going yellow. And then the impatiens plants literally would look like they're collapsing overnight. The, the leaves would drop, the, the the side shoots would drop and you'd be left with a stem. <laughs> so the the breeders have been working uh, really hard over a number of years and, and they developed uh, 
a, a, a variety that's resistant to this um, this mildew through traditional breeding techniques. Mm -hmm. um, they use a use a, a, a kind of a computer program which kind of it's what's called genome sequencing. So they basically look at all the the genes in the plants and they identify the ones which are the most resistant. Okay. And then they use those plants to select um, to select the plants that they they breed from. So it's, it's a way of speeding up the the breeding process, but it takes several years still <laughs> to to develop that. So we're really excited because we now, uh, after two years, um, we've we've had a new variety called Beacon, and it's a real shining light of hope for that's, home gardeners. That's good news. That's brilliant news, and that will be yeah. finding its yeah. way into garden centres now over this sort of period and and beyond. Yes, it's in. It should be coming into the garden centres uh, very much now. This time of the year, um, should start seeing the first plants coming in very shortly. Um, and um, yeah, the great thing is that, that, that you know, the humble busy Liz is is back again, and it's perfect plant to put into borders, semi shade, sun, baskets, containers, you know, and, and a variety of soil conditions as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's always my go-to plant if people have got a lot of shade in the garden. You know, they and and fuchsias are a perfect sort of marriage, really, of something which will will tolerate those yeah. those conditions as yeah. well. So, that's yeah. good news about the the, the busy Lizzie. Um, what about the other plant I was thinking of as well today? Um, was the the, the pansy is it as itself, but the the difference between the the summer and the winter varieties. Now, again, back in the 80s, I remember when the universal pansies first hit uh, the garden centre, mm -hmm. and they absolutely yeah. revolutionised the way we, we sold bedding in the autumn. Until then, it was, you might sell, sell a few primroses, a few, I don't know, a few uh, wallflowers, but it was very limited. And then suddenly, my word, these came along and they really stormed the... Uh, the, the the beds and the the hanging basket uh, side. So how how are we there with those, Stuart? Have we moved on since the universals, or are we very much uh, in a different place now? We are in a we're in a slightly different place, I guess, Chris. Um, winter and summer pansies, to most of us, uh, when we look at them, then they they look no they're not dissimilar to one another. The the main difference is um, that the winter pansies. Uh, have been bred to be specifically much harder under tougher winter conditions, particularly cold and wet. And their um, pan pansies flower generally going into longer days. So, what one of the things that the breeders are doing are trying trying to breed pansy and violas um, that that will flower in shorter days. So, i.e., in the in the winter months. Um, and as they come out of the winter, they start flowering early. So we're finding plants with stronger roots, uh, more robust, uh, more tolerant to cold conditions, and plants that start flowering much, much earlier in the season. They flower late into the autumn. They flower early in the spring. So the winter pansies are, uh, are certainly doing, uh, are doing that. But many of the pansies today are, you know, uh, kind of, um, tick both boxes, and, and certainly, you know, varieties. You know, we've been working very closely with the breeders, matrix pansies, um, and and the new trailing type called cool wave pansies, and the viola sorbet are you know, amongst some of the kind of more successful newer varieties. No, it's, it's it's really encouraging, and uh, I, I mean, one question we always seem to get asked at the garden centre is, you know, can can you leave winter pansies to become effectively summer pansies? Well, I always find that generally once you get into the spring, they usually romp along and are fine. But there comes a point, I suppose, where you have to say, well, those plants have given me enough pleasure now. I'll, I'll, I'll ring the changes and, and replace them. What, what's your thoughts on on longevity of your uh, your borders with those in? I I agree with you, Chris. You know, the 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 winter pansies or pansies plant them in the autumn. You get some nice colour in the autumn. They Reflower in the spring and come kind of late April, early May. They've really done their their job. You know, you get you buy a pack of pansies, you know, for just a few a few pounds. Yeah, you, know, you get what well, kind of five or six months of pleasure 
And I don't think I, I, I can make a bottle of wine last that long. <laughs> <laughs> the same amount of money. And, and but by the time you get you get to May, they've done their thing. They yeah. do start to stretch, and mm. they do, look a little bit untidy at that point. But yep, the garden centres are packed with plants that are having their moment in 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 May, and that's that's the time to replace replace those and put sure. something else equally equally good in. So. And my my tip, I think, on on pansies is really try to get those in September, October, into the ground mm-hmm. while the ground's still warm, and then the plants can establish um, in the slightly warmer soil. Right. But if you're planting in containers, then it's possible to plant those a little bit later into the autumn, into into November. You know, the containers were a bit drier and easier to kind of manage. Sure, that's a, that's a really good tip. Thank you, Stuart, on that. Um, the way we, we, we grow bedding plants obviously has changed over the years. Uh, I remember, gosh, I go back again a long time when um, obviously the, the kinder plants, the young little plug plants suddenly appeared in garden centres and suddenly you were able to buy little pots of lobelia in sort of February and uh, yeah. fuchsias in, 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 in January even, really early. Yep. Um, I suppose that sort of culture now has, has moved on and we're, we're quite used to it, but... Um, I mean, as far as you, you guys growing the plants for, for the, the trade, have you seen any changes there? Is, is there some uh, pr- good prospects for, for us gardeners that we're going to get even better plants? Yeah, I, I, I expect we're, yeah, we, we, we've got plants that are always continuously improving. That um, the, the breeders are developing new strains of plants with better habits, improved colours, greater garden performance. What we do as a business is we don't just take this on the say-so of the plant breeder. We we trial rigorously all the varieties in our own in our own gardens here, containers, pots, to ensure that they do what the <laughs> the plant breeders have said they do. Because you know the the UK climate is quite fickle. It it can it can vary significantly from from day to day, month, you know, week to week. Right. So yeah, we. We're looking for a plant that 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 will give great longevity, value for money, and I think we're seeing plants continuously coming through, which um, yeah, which, which are going to be exciting, new colours, mm. but also um, more disease resistant and, and and do all sorts of new things that we've never imagined before. Sure, I mean one one thing I always notice when I'm walking around your your trials at uh, at Ball Colgrave is the obviously the use of hanging baskets now. And uh, I mean, I, I, I thought at one point that certainly in the, the, the 80s and the 90s, they were on a, such a roll. Would they ever sort of go out of fashion? Um, I suppose it's a question, you know, you know, obviously new gardeners are coming along now. We're, we're suggesting there's, you know, three million new gardeners on the back of our, our lockdowns over the last year. Do you think hanging baskets are, are here to stay? Or do you think that they need to be... Um, maybe uh, i don't know redeveloped or reimagined what what's your thoughts on on that i don't don't see hanging baskets um disappearing or or waning in any way um in fact i see hanging baskets and certainly patio containers increasing patio containers of course are ideal for you know today's houses you know we i think we've got a hundred, in excess of 100 million containers in the uk and that i think that's a very um conservative uh, calculation um and with so many new houses being built with tiny little gardens their you know containers are, are, are perfect for for anybody and, and certainly with so many people also renting or and, and moving house in flats containers are quite portable so containers i see are growing enormously Bas- baskets yes they they can be a you know difficult if if you're not comfortable with ha- making a hanging basket but if you're trying to plant all round the hanging basket that can be a little bit challenging sometimes it's easy to plant the top bit but how you poke the plants through the sides what what we're finding chris are more varieties are, are being developed to, to suit hanging pots so that the plants mound and semi-cascade so they cover the sides of the basket but they don't they're they're tidy they're neat and they're easy to maintain so I, I, I see that the breeding is actually helping 
you know, to, to, to kind of feed that, that need for hanging baskets. And of course, hanging baskets, we generally don't have as many kind of um, fixings around houses for baskets. So you're always going to see less hanging baskets than you would containers. Yeah, for sure. And as I was walking over to, to, to record this podcast, it was uh, interesting that we just had a, a delivery of a, of a development, which I think is pretty close to, to your heart, and that's these sort of drop-in, pop-in containers for, for hanging baskets and for containers. Um, they have completely revolutionised the, the way you know our customers can create a wonderful display almost instantly. Oh, they are, they are absolutely wonderful. It's such a great product because that, that drop-in has a mesh bottom and you, you don't even have to think about how to plant a container or go and select your individual plants to try and make up your colour theme. It's, red, it's ready planted. It's got seven really premium plants ready, ready. Someone's done all the thinking. It's already in a little container. In the container, there's slow-release fertiliser, so yeah. there's something to keep the plants going right through the season. And yeah, it, it's, it's easy as you literally drop it onto the, the, the fresh compost in a pot or a container and it just grows away. Within a couple of weeks, you, you, you've got a, an amazing effect. So you can look like an expert without being an expert. <laughs> oh, that's, that was the best form of cheating then, perhaps. Isn't it? I don't know. But, but, but we, I have to say, we get so many requests, you know, phone calls in advance of, of April and May. When are they coming in? And uh, I had a phone call uh, literally this morning saying, you know, when, when's your next delivery? We know that they literally fly off the benches because they're so popular now. And they've got yeah. quite, a, quite a following as well. And people will look at the different mixes on the, the label, the different formulations, and obviously try yeah. different ones each year, which is, which is great. So, yeah, a great success story. And if that's an indication that, yeah. you know, convenience gardening is, is here to stay, then, you know, it's a, a, a really good radical approach to, to doing that. But, of course, I suppose we've seen other radical approaches to displaying a lot of bedding plants and perennials and that's obviously in the uh, the use of, of these sort of living walls and uh, certainly at the garden centre here yeah. we, we have one set up which are, our little impatiens are, are slowly growing away for, for, for that uh, that day a little bit later on this month where we can actually put them out but um, it's something which is obviously very close to to to, uh, to Ball Colgrave hasn't it? Yes it yeah we, we yeah we launched a um, a, a, a vertical wall system, and you know, and you, know, you use that at Buckingham, and it, it looks absolutely amazing. It's a, it's a brilliant um, way to introduce people to uh, as they approach a building. Um, yeah, and, and a, it's, it, a vertical walls are a great way to add colour and interest to a very boring or unsightly wall or a fence, um, and they can be as big as or large as as you like. Um, it can be used for seasonal colour, um, evergreen plants. They're brilliant for herbs and you know even veg you know strawberries are working very effectively <laughs> in them the slugs can't get to them very that's easily. true yeah yeah no it's good news and i suppose that sort of display where you're using uh, height um, is in a lot yeah. of the sort of 3d sort of bedding as well which you often see certainly in some of the uh, the national trust properties or if you go get a chance to go over to uh, you know uh, disney world where you see those amazing um, mickey mouses all created in <laughs> yeah. plants that's good yeah i mean i just wonder whether that's going to be a new area of, of development because i'm sure a lot of people would love to to create something like that you know, maybe on a modest scale in their in their gardens in their homes something the whole family could get involved in but hey that's probably a little bit of a pipe dream <laughs> perhaps at the moment um yeah well yes uh, I, yeah there are there are lots of systems of course on on the market um uh, always Always, you know, one one thing we learned when we were introducing a, a vertical system that the irrigation in these things is really important mm -hmm. because you remember when when you put the water at the top, it drains down, so the bottom gets very wet and the top stays dry. So if you're ever creating anything yourself or um, buying something off the shelf, always make sure that you 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 know it's it's got a good watering system in it, or you can control that water to get the very best out of the plant. No, that's, that's a very true, very, very useful tip. Um, obviously, Stuart, at Ball Grave, you have, when we go around the gardening tray, we have an opportunity to, to vote for our, our favourite bedding plants with your wonderful blue flag system. Um, yeah. I just wondered, how does the process go for sort of marking new varieties? What, what sort of process do you use to, to, to consider that plant, you know, better or, or, or not as good as 
you know the, the the competition on the market so it's something you must be obviously very very aware of yes well we the first thing is that we we work very closely with the plant breeders um they're very yeah they're not um people in white coats now they're yeah they they are commercially aware they they talk to the industry they talk to the public they try to understand what it is that's needed from a plant so the the starting point is it, it starts very a lot yeah you know, many many years mm-hmm. in advance you know to create a new seed variety on average is about seven years to develop mm-hmm. a new variety so you've got to be pretty sure when you start the process <laughs> that in seven years time yeah. I think that's what people want <laughs> yeah, so um so the, the breeders are, are developing a plant and we're constantly being asked to you know, give our, our, our opinions on that. And then when the plant's getting within a couple of years of possible introduction, we then bring it to our trial grounds where we can monitor it. Part of that process, Chris, is you know, like yourself, come to the open days, you're asked for your opinion. We, we ask people to put a blue flag in, in the variety that they they see as you know exciting or make a difference and um, the blue flags that we ask all our customers to put in the plants we count them up every day that gives us a nice measure of interest um but it is a number of factors you know, is the plant you know, is it pest and disease free is it is it uh producing lots of color is it um, something different from what there's been before um and so on so um you know we have to look at all these things and then we make a decision based on the market at the particular time right so there's a bit bit of sort of crystal ball gazing going on a little bit isn't it, i suppose as well as using there, pure pure fact as well yeah there 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 has to be you know we have to gamble sometimes and you know go you know go for something that that we really don't know what's going to happen in the next 10 years <laughs> indeed Yes. So is there actually any sort of official way of, of giving plants a, a sort of a stamp of approve, approval um, in the gardening trade for, for, for seed-raised plants? Yeah, there are for both seed and, 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 and cutting-raised plants. There's, there's two um, that you know, I, I, I can, you know, to, to mind. Um, one is the RHSAGM. Okay, yeah. Um, now the uh, the AGM is stands for Award of Garden Merit. Now it's about seven and a half thousand plants varieties um, of plants um, with an RHS AGM. Um, all those plants have undergo gone a a, a process where um, a group of individuals experts uh, have assessed those plants. Um, and this goes on year after year um, with different categories of plants. Sometimes that's done as a forum. Sometimes it's done as a roundtable assessment where the experts sit together and um, kind of debate how those plants perform. And if if a plant is of good constitution, so it, it is you know it can maintain a disease and pest-free um, uh, kind of uh, quality. It's producing something that's, you know, of great um, quality in the garden, great characteristics, brilliant garden performance. And usually it's got to be better than something that was there before. Um, if if it ticks all the boxes and, and the experts consider this is you know, something that really gives the home garden a good value, it will be awarded uh, an AGM. So it's a little cup symbol, and you'll see that on a label or on the side of a, a packet of seed. That doesn't mean that if it hasn't got the AGM, it's not worthy. But an AGM is always a, a nice kind of seal of approval yeah, to yeah, know yes. that you're really going to get something that's going to reliably perform in the garden. So that's the RHS AGM. The other one is something that's organized by um, many international companies that are breeding and distributing plants and that's called the fluoro select gold medal so that the or the, the in, that part of the industry comes together they put plants in into a competition um to to see if 
there's a variety um, that that surpasses all um, current expectations of that plant for for beauty, um, innovation, um, uh, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, and, and um, any other kind of special qualities. If if it's considered to be outstanding, that may well get a gold medal, and that is a a gold kind of um, Olympic type of medal that right. sits on the packet as well. And that, that again, that's another great um, mark of a seal of approval to look out for. Right. So when you when we're doing our shopping, certainly AGMs on on plants, and if there's a florist select symbol, then that's another good good indicator, a good marker that the plant is going to be good good garden worthiness and will outperform perhaps a lot of other plants. It's a great way to, to, to yeah, an independent organisation has looked and considered that it's not yeah. a, a bit of a marketing yeah. ploy by the company selling the seeds. For sure, yeah, yeah, it's nice and independent yeah. effectively, isn't it? So when it comes to, to all our seasonal plants, our bedding plants, Stuart, what, is there any sort of tips you'd be giving us at this time of the year for, for getting the best out of them? Because obviously, you know, through the month of May and June, we, we plant, I don't know how many, tens of thousands, and uh, well, we see them trundling out of our uh, our shop here into people's cars, and you just wonder sort of what happens next. Um, any any pointers? Well, yes, yeah, it's the same things as we exercise in what we do here. The first thing I always look at is make sure I get a really good quality compost, I, some something that that is going to give me, um, uh, you know, the, the best conditions to grow that plant in. You're investing in some really nice plants, so the best thing you want to do is make sure you you know, you're looking after those plants, giving them a, a you know a really nice bed to sit to sit in, um, and and always remember that, that that there is fertilizer in the in the compost, but it only lasts four to six weeks after after planting. So after that period, you do need to um, give give the plants a little li- liquid feed. Particularly important with baskets because when you're watering a basket from the top, the water comes out the bottom and it flushes out all the the food that's already in the basket. So make sure you water, you know, you're feeding. There's some great um, fertilizer, you know, fertilizers or liquid feeds. There's, you know, the Bio, the uh, Miracle Grow, um, and I'm, I'm sure there's you know there's lots of really good good um, fertilizers there. I, I I use all all of those those types in. Um, in my with my plants, and we use something professionally, which is always very similar to those. The other the other thing I would always encourage is using maybe a, a, a slow release fertilizer okay. in the baskets um, and, and 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 containers. Now that's a little little pellet of a fertilizer, and, and it'll tell you how much to put into different size containers and baskets. Mm-hmm. And that that's fertilizer that's encapsulated, and when over a period of time, with warmth and water, when the plant really needs that feed, it starts to release it to the roots of the plants. So it does mean that the plants are taking in the feed as and when they need it. So they're less reliant on you to feed them. And that's, that's a really nice way to look like you're an expert, <laughs> and but not actually doing all the hard work. Oh, it's, it's such a good, 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 good product, as you say. And uh, I mean, yeah, I think people are becoming more and more familiar with that because you can use that sort of product these days on your your trees and your shrubs too. It's um, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it goes across all the boards. No, that, that's... Oh, and there's one other thing: make okay. sure you pick a really good variety. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I suppose leading on to that then. Um, Variety wise, is there anything we we could be looking forward to maybe for for next season from uh, from Bold Colgrave, uh, which you can perhaps uh, tease us with? Well, there's there's lots of exciting plants in some of the big classes of of, of, um, uh, of bedding plants, begonias. There's some smashing new new plants. There's begonia megawatt, which is a um, is 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 uh, kind of like a uh, sempiflora in begonia, so these fibrous rooted begonias, which traditionally you would have used in in, in bedding schemes, in quite low growing. This this grows into quite a monster, but amazing performance in containers or in flower beds. And no matter what conditions okay. uh, that's 
thrown at it, it, it always looks stunning. So that's begonia megawatt. Um, another begonia for containers and baskets has a late, um, an angel wing kind of shaped leaf and lovely big, big flowers. Uh, it's called rivulet. Um, that's a lovely, lovely form of um, begonia. There's a range of colours with those. Mm-hmm. Um, Calabricoas, um, they traditionally have have not really been very tolerant of cool, wet um, and hard water uh, kind of uh, conditions. But more and more, those, those are um, becoming much more tolerant of all those um, growing conditions. But the colours are unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Have different flower uh, flower color combinations in in calabacoas. And there's some wonderful mixes in in calabacoas uh, in the Trixie and Mixed Masters combinations, where there's three plants in a pot. Uh, if you go to the garden centre and they have um, three different flowers all in one pot, the three different colours, you know, ready-made fashionable mixes, really takes all the guesswork out of color combinations. Yes, Stuart, you Immediate. mentioned as I say, they were popular certainly in the last couple of years. Um, I don't think this year we've, we've managed to source that many. I think there's maybe problems in some of the production sides of things, or just, we're just slow to get them, I don't know. But we're looking forward to receiving those soon, because they really are a bit of a revelation, aren't they, for, for ease of, of creating a fantastic display. Yeah, they're a great, a great solution, again, for, yeah, for novice gardeners. Um, but they are very, in, in, very much in high demand, Chris. So I'm not, I'm not surprised you have found difficulty in, in getting those. But yeah, look out for those. They're, they're a great solution. I say, I just about, I was just about to say, Nemesias. Um, Nemesias came out very high in the voting during our summer, summer trials last year. We didn't have many customers because of COVID, of course. But we, uh, Nemesias, breathing on those is, is incredible. And there's a there's a trial um, taking place this summer at uh, Wisley on the media. So if you get a chance to, to visit Wisley, um, they'll be in the trial gardens. Excellent. And of course, the impatiens, where you can't forget, you know, obviously look out for those busy lizards, the impatiens beacon. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're out there. Sounds great. Oh, there's plenty of, oh, so, so much choice out there. And looking, um, I mean, I think this this spring has probably tempted the growers to maybe do a bit of reprogramming in their, their production because we do seem to be getting plenty of stock in now, which is which is great news, which obviously was a little yep. bit fraught at the beginning. Um, as we sort of wind down the interview, Stuart, I was going to ask maybe your essential go-to desert island bedding plant, if you if you were stuck <laughs> on such a thing, what, what would you grow? Oh, gosh. That's a really difficult, really difficult question. I think I'd have I'd have to go for the impatiens. Mm-hmm. You know, impatiens speaking, it's the the plant that you can plant almost anywhere, and hard to you can destroy them, of course, but it's hard to destroy. They they work in so many places, and if I if I was on a desert island, <laughs> it'd probably be the only plant I could find somewhere for, for it. But that that would be the one plant I, I want take with me whatever wherever I go whatever I do I, I would I would call upon it to, to, to do something in the summer you know summer for me indeed yeah. indeed and I'm really we're a bit naughty when we're putting our questions to you Stuart but there's one at the bottom we always like to see if we can get a, a plant related joke from our one of our of our guests so do you have anything for us today well there's always one great saying yeah a man should never plant the garden and <laughs> his wife to take care of <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but um, yeah, there's one. There is a tip that um, you know I've always, I've always um, thought was quite interesting. Is it? And I don't, I don't know if you've heard about this one, Chris. But in Italy, that you know, that it's been found that slime makes an excellent beauty product. And it, if the ladies uh, rub that over their faces, it's supposed to really, really good for their their complexion. So if you miss, you know, Valentine's Day, you know, is a is a great, you know, throwing the guys a lifeline here. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a great beauty, uh, beauty product. So yeah, slug, slug slime. <laughs> right. Okay. So, well. Uh, so as as breeders, we're obviously no mad rush to uh, to find a slug resistant plant. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> oh yeah. So that's that's good. Those slug pubs are. 
can be can be used with uh, with with glee. Uh, Stuart, as always, it's a delight to, to chat to you, and we, I think we've so, learned so much more about the, the bedding plant world. And obviously, so yeah. much to look forward to, and it's a, a lovely industry to be in, as we know, gardening. But your sector, perhaps more than anything, brings so much joy and harmony and colour to uh, to our gardens, especially yeah. over these last couple of years. Thank, thank you very much. Yeah. You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Wow, I love that. Uh, the idea of um, slug slime um, uh, as a beauty product. Yeah, I'm not sure Joe's going to be too keen if I present her with a pot of slug slime. <laughs> I dare you. <laughs> uh, yeah, that'd be good, wouldn't it? So, but equally, I suppose um, things that have changed in our industry this year uh, for the benefit of um, the wildlife and uh, sort of chemical usage mm. is um, obviously metaldehyde was banned, wasn't yes. it, out of all the slug products? That, and that's good news. Good news for for our food chain, for our uh, you know, for our slugs, which obviously inputted that into their bodies, then which was picked up by the uh, the frogs and of course the the birds. So yeah. it has a big big impact. Uh, hopefully, long term, that's going to have major repercussions on our wildlife, which can only be good. And also, um, you know, at the end of the day, there are lots of other environmentally friendly, fun ways you can control your slugs. Well, there are, aren't there? I know, obviously, there's a. The ones that I always come to mind are eggshells and holly leaves. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Sort of simple things that if we, we sweep up the holly leaves because they're always prickling us and mm-hmm. re- recycle them and obviously over time they then mm. break down and yeah. go into the soil as compost and benefits the Perfect. soil a little way, doesn't it? And yep. then I suppose my favourite, beer traps. Of course. But, but you don't need to put beer in, do you, Peter? You can put no. in lemonade or one of your favourite cola-based products, anything sugary. Yeah, I mean, anyone who does any brewing who's got yeast, slurry or sludge left over sort of detritus in the bottom of their wine vessels... That yeast, from my understanding, Fantastic. is actually what the slugs are after. They're not after a quick pint. They're actually <laughs> after the yeast. yeast. Yes. So that might explain why bran flakes are quite good at treating them. Yes. And I heard a story, um, and I don't know if it's true, that um, a gardener basically fed his slugs on bran flakes in a very controlled way. Right. To the point, I hope you're not eating, uh, listener, um, that the actual slugs exploded. Oh, my word. <laughs> So a bit okay. drastic, uh, which so yeah. So your birds would then have a you know a really good uh, good diet as well, wouldn't they? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very healthy. <yeah. laughs> That's brilliant. So hopefully your bedding plants haven't been eaten by the slugs, but just thinking about bedding plants and obviously marigolds. Mm-hmm. And there's another use for marigolds, isn't there, Chris? That's right. Yeah, um, the term of, of companion planting, where you put a marigold in with your greenhouse crops, so your tomatoes, your cucumbers. And maybe your peppers. Yeah, because they keep off the white fly, don't they? They ward ward off the white fly with this. Well, what they what they really do is they attract the wild fly to them, so they. Yeah, they, there you go. Show yeah. my expertise again. They, they act as a decoy. That's the word, isn't it? A decoy. Okay. So instead of the white fly going to your, your tomatoes to those tips, and there's nothing worse when you walk past a you know a plant when it obviously these fly off. They will hopefully go to your. Uh, uh, French marigolds, and it's French, French or African marigolds are actually fine for the job, and right. they'll go there. And uh, yeah, and then you can treat those marigolds which have got the infestation with your organic spray and your, or your, your soft soap or what other organic products you might use in a very, uh, very risk controlled way. But yeah, companion plant, just put them in, in pots and containers and you can move them in and out of your greenhouse and just them at, use them as a, a white fly decoy. Good idea. Thanks, Chris. Now I know what, <laughs> what to use them for as well. That's brilliant. Because, yeah, I mean, there's just so many different types of bedding, isn't there? I mean, the, and mm. the uses for them, I mean, thinking sort of most people have got a couple of sort of nice big planters or containers mm. or pots outside in the garden on the patio Indeed. or at the front door or hanging baskets as i've beaten you this year on getting my hanging baskets planted planted up they're starting to grow and looking good now yeah because my petunias are now flowering well the libidia hasn't started flowering yet but it is growing it's all doing well and the geranium in the middle yep 
is a, yeah, yeah. A, a lovely salmon pink and yeah. is flowering nicely. Yeah. I'm really happy with those. The other sort of area for bedding is in your borders to, mm. like you know, we're discussing, so take the place of the bulbs and give you some more colour in the garden. That, that, that's right, Peter, yeah. If you've got enough space, obviously the yeah. carpet bedding displays that you see um, in, in, in big parks and gardens. Now, I understand, Chris, um, you, you were involved in a, a decent-sized scheme, weren't you? That's right, yeah, going many, back many, many years when I worked at a, a previous garden centre, uh, my boss there, Dave Stafford, had this idea of creating an Olympic torch bedding display okay. at Manchester Airport as, wow. a, as a massive carpet bedding scheme. And the logistics were pretty amazing. So what he did, he brought in lots of growers, uh, lots of uh, growers from the trade as well, who produced young plants, yep. who could offer us some space to grow a thousand, say, begonias. Or right, um, and he, it was a logistical nightmare to be honest with you. But it all came together. It was all done on a, a computer graphics plan. Right, this was the you know the the, the mid eighties when okay. we did have computers and CAD. Yeah, just um, and yeah, it all went to plan, and we got in the, the students from Myerscove College, and I went down there a couple of days, donning me wellies. It was very very wet. I have to say, I remember the days very clearly, and we were putting these uh, displays in. So what I'll do on the uh, on the show notes, I'll yep. put a, we'll have some pictures there for, for people to see. But it was a great thing to be involved in. And the whole idea of this, there has to be a good idea, is when the, the uh, contingency party came in to decide whether Manchester was going to host the Olympics, yep. what they would see as they touched down at Manchester Airport was this Olympic torch. It was our welcome on the Mancunian welcome to, to the party. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was fun times to be involved in. And, and it obviously left quite a big mark on, on, the, on the memory of a lot of people who were involved in that project. Yeah, because I should imagine, I mean, you know, roughly what sort of size was the display? I think it was probably the size of probably about eight or nine tennis courts. Okay, yes, so yes, sig- yeah, I mean, that's large, sig- yeah. massive amount of work yeah. to plant and all it was of those. Ten, yeah, tens of thousands of plants. And we also used sort of white aggregate to create. And it was, a, if you think about the Olympic torch, it obviously yep. had uh, obviously uh, red and uh, white and obviously different shades in there. But the actual torch base was actually aggregate. So we actually okay. used an aggregate to... Obviously, to, to, to give the impact yep. for this torch as well. But I think that's uh, the joy of gardening, isn't mm. it? You, you come up with a design yep. uh, on a piece of paper sometimes and, yep. or just in your mind and you yeah. think, well, how can we sort of make yeah. the borders? How can we get the colour? And it's a fascinating sort of project to, to, to be involved I'd, with, I should imagine. I'd, I'd agree, yeah. And I think anything we do in our gardens, yeah, we go through that creative moment, don't we? Or we get inspired whether it's on the TV. Obviously, we haven't had the Chelsea Flower Show, you know, this year at the moment. We've got, it, we've got something to look forward to in September yep. when Chelsea comes there. But, you know, I think that's the thing. And certainly coming to the garden centre, you'll see some nice containers already planted up to get inspiration as well from... Um, and that's what it's about. And I think that's that's one of the joys of bedding, isn't it? That you can yeah. be, you don't need a grand garden, a stately home to put this massive amounts of carpet bedding, just a pot and that's some ideas. And, and and the speed it grows as well. Mm. I think it's sort of, whereas a, you plant an apple tree and you hope, am yeah. I going to get an apple off it next year <laughs> yeah. or maybe two, three years down the yeah. line? Whereas with bedding, couple of months after planting it's in full bloom it's looking good and it's such a joy and like um we learned from Stuart so much easier to take care of now isn't it and yes. um the, the the hardiness of the plants and the fact that the the flowers are open all day long and it doesn't matter if it's cloudy if it's a gazinia anymore <laughs> yeah indeed and you know i mean some people and the, you know there are people who are a little bit sniffy about bedding yeah, but I think now they are the minority, and I think I think people's eyes are being opened to the fact that they do bring so much joy to people's lives, especially in the you know last couple of years where we've needed some nice, bright, cheerful colour to to uh, to brighten bright, the place up, isn't it? Yeah. To brighten our days. That's it. So I think we've just about touched the surface of bedding there, Chris. I think we? so, Peter. Yeah, plenty of good detail. Huge, yeah. huge um, subject and topic, isn't it? it but is um, uh, I hope you've learned something today. Our next show is July in the Garden. I know, and uh, we're going to be covering quite a bit of uh, obviously plant related, and also we're going to be looking at entertaining in the garden. And obviously, a few, and a few garden projects for those children who will, will be going on those long summer holidays 
through that month, so we'll, we can have a chat about some uh, fun things in the garden to do. Okay, and can I share my rib recipe with the audience? That would be good. Week? Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, Excellent. let's do that. Good stuff. Okay, thank you, Chris. Thank you, Peter. And thank you, too, to Stuart Lowen from Ball Colgrave Seeds. Today's podcast was brought to you by Buckingham Garden Centre and Nurseries. The show was hosted by Peter Brown and Chris Day. The show was produced by Peter Brown. Our thanks today goes to Chilton Music Therapy for providing the music for our show. At Chilton Music Therapy, we want everyone to know the difference that music can make in their lives. From parents and their premature babies in hospital to grandparents with dementia. We provide music therapy and community music services to people of all ages and needs across England. We work both digitally and in person in people's homes, care homes, schools, hospitals and hospices. Find out more at chilternmusictherapy.co.uk.